0: Tomorrow our prayer focus will be healing. We'll be healing. We'll be seeking the Lord for healing. And I won't go into the detail of what that might mean for you, but there's healing on many different levels and in many different ways in our life. And tomorrow our focus in the morning and evening will be on God's healing. And so come and join us as we pray together tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. Take your Bibles, if you will. We're going to the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 22. After mentioning that I was missing a couple pages of Colossians, I had someone offer to buy me a new Bible this week. <laughs> and I may just uh, take them up on it. The bad thing is I'm missing Colossians 1 and 2. The good thing is I'm missing Colossians 1 and 2. Uh, the bad thing is it's not there. The good thing is is that my Bible is so well worn that it uh, lost its grip on the binding and uh, and it's difficult. to to know where that is now but Matthew 22 we've been talking these first few weeks of the new year about the importance of first Um, for for order it's important that first things are first some of you enjoy cooking some of you enjoy the biggest meal of the year thanksgiving And I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm charged with the responsibility of preparing Thanksgiving dinner, the first thing I do is thaw the turkey. Because if the turkey is left to the end and it's out of order, well, then you're not going to have a very good Thanksgiving. The first thing in in the order of preparation is that thawing of the turkey or drying of the breadcrumbs. I don't know how many of you still do that or whether you just buy them already cubed and dried out. But but I was raised to cube them on cookie sheets and set them wherever you could find a flat surface in the house to dry out those breadcrumbs. The order of food preparation on Thanksgiving Day is crucial. It's vital for everything to come together at the end. The order has to be there. We also know that first has to do with priority. It's important that first things are first. It's amazing at times when you talk with people about financial priority, how that oftentimes people don't understand a financial priority. They don't understand that when the check hits the bank, when the deposit's made, there are certain things that need to be handled first. For if you don't handle the mortgage or the rent... You may be eating that special meal on the corner instead of in the house because there's a priority. First things are first. In Jesus' final week of his ministry, he talks about priority. He talks about to his disciples the things, the thing here we're going to see, that that is first. Jesus is closing his earthly ministry. In fact, Matthew 22, if you take a page back, you'll see that he has just went through the triumphal entry, which we know is the week preceding Jesus' death on the cross. So this is in the very last week of Jesus' ministry. And the religious are putting more and more pressure upon him, and they are trying to trap him. If you look at verse 15 in Matthew 22, We see the intent and the purposes of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, of the religious leaders. They went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. We see that earlier in this chapter that he's speaking a parable of the wedding banquet. And we know that Jesus used parables more and more in his ministry as he got closer to the end of his ministry. Why? To hide the truth. He hid the truth from the common listener so that only the spiritual listener would get it. And so Jesus was doing that in the parable of the wedding banquet. He was hiding the truth from those that would want to take the truth and trap him. In verse 15, we see that the Pharisees move in to attempt to trap Jesus in his words concerning taxes. And are the taxes to be paid to Caesar? Sounds like a timely question, doesn't it? I don't know how many of you are doing the tax thing right now, trying to get that worked out. Let me just remind you what Jesus said. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. Let me give it to you in the message. Render unto the United States of America the things that are the United States of America's. And under unto God the things that are God's. But the Pharisees were coming to Jesus because they were trying to trap Him. They were trying to get Him to align Himself with, in a direction that they could trap Him, that they could apprehend Him, that they could take Him. In verse 23, we see that there's another religious group, the Sadducees. And they are also moving in to trap Jesus concerning issues of the resurrection and of marriage. It was interesting because the Sadducees say there is no resurrection. But yet, they were using the resurrection as a place to try to trap Jesus regarding issues of marriage. And it's during this interrogation and this pressure that Jesus is asked what is greatest in the law. Go with me, if you will, to verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Here we see that the religious people, they are duty minded. They are law minded. And they are coming to Jesus with the desire to get from him a piece of the law that he would hold up as greater than any other piece. Instead, Jesus, as he often does, he takes the focus off of duty and he puts it on the heart. What is first? What is the greatest? Jesus says it here in verse 34. He says it's love. Love is the greatest. Not duty. Not tradition. Not ritual. Not do's and don'ts. There are do's and don'ts in the law. We read them in Exodus 20. And they are of God. And they are for us to observe. But Jesus is going to take the crux of the matter, the core of the matter. And he says the core of the matter is not your duty. The core of the matter is your heart. For he says the word love. Notice here he doesn't say know the Lord your God or do works for the Lord your God or even believe in the Lord your God. He says love. It's a matter of our heart that we love him that our heart gravitates toward Him, that our heart is given over to Him, that there is something real and living that comes from us toward God from our heart, and that is love. Jesus here is not interested in a sterile faith, but He's interested in a heart faith. He wants our hearts. He doesn't just want the profession of our mouth. He he just doesn't want our duties and the things that we do for Him. Although those are wonderful, he wants something deeper. He wants what's beating in our chest. He wants our heart. He wants our core. And he says there, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind. For this is the greatest commandment. This word love that's used here it's that familiar word that we hear agape or agapeo which means the god kind of love not a human type of love but a god kind of love the love that was demonstrated to us from god it's the love of john 3:16, for god so agape us that he gave of himself God's love is a choosing love, a choosing love of the heart to give. It's a wholehearted devotion involving all of life. Notice the all's in the verse. All your heart, all your soul, all of your mind, it encompasses everything not a love that's compartmentalized we in america compartmentalize real easy don't we this is my work this is my family this is my money this is my entertainment this is my future this is my health and we compartmentalize our life and we give attention to various parts of our life and we give god parts of our life and we give parts of parts God. We give certain things over to God and we retain certain things for ourselves. We compartmentalize. Compartmentalization is not a scriptural concept. It's an American concept. The scripture talks in terms of, of inclusivity or all or everything or complete That's Scripture. Scripture says it's all or nothing. It's everything that you bring or it's nothing that you bring. And so the mandate here, the priority, what is first here, Jesus says, is to love me with everything that you are and everything that you have and everything that you don't have, and every place that you want to go, and every friendship that you have, and every relationship that you have, and every family issue that you have, every dollar that you possess, love me with all of it. All of it. All of it. This is the type of love that God demonstrated to us. When He demonstrated His love, He demonstrated His whole heart to us he reserved nothing God has held nothing back from us he has not compartmentalized his love to us he's given it all and that is most clearly seen in his son the Lord Jesus when Jesus hung on the cross he was fully hanging there all his heart, his mind, his soul, and some versions say his strength. All of Jesus was hanging on the cross. God held nothing back. And in turn, he says, don't hold anything back from me. Love me with everything, with all that you have. Take your Bibles and go over to Luke 7. I want to show us a most unlikely picture of loving the Lord with all. This is an account that primarily contrasts the Pharisee that invites Jesus for dinner and the uninvited woman who slips in wanting to love Jesus. There's a Pharisee, and he opened his home and extended an invitation to Jesus to come and to have dinner. I'm not sure why he extended the invitation, because he was not a very good host. In fact, he didn't wash the feet of Jesus. He didn't anoint Jesus. He barely attended to Jesus or paid much attention to Him. And in those days when you had a dinner, the doors were not closed. The doors were left open. And oftentimes people, uninvited guests, would slip in and sit along the wall or in corners to be a part of the gathering in this home. And so on that particular night when Jesus was invited to this dinner, there were some uninvited guests that made their way in. They had heard. I think Jesus is going to dinner over at the Pharisee's house. I've heard a lot about him. Maybe we can find our way in and sit along the wall and listen and glean from his teaching, be able to hear him. Look at verse 36 with me, and here's the story. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We see this woman, an uninvited guest. She wasn't expected to be there. She didn't sit along the wall or in the corner, but something about her love for Jesus drew her to step out. Now, ladies, you have to remember in this culture, women were property. The 1960s had not happened yet. There there wasn't all this freedom for women. Women were considered property. Women had their place. Women were to be seen and not heard. It was unlikely that oftentimes a woman would have ever been invited to a gathering like this. And yet this woman, out of her desire and love for Jesus, walked through the door and not only came into the house, but moved right into the presence of Jesus. And what she does there was so unusual, was so unusual on many counts. First of all, she was a woman. Second of all, she was a sinful woman. Many scholars believe that she was a prostitute because of the condition of her hair, not being pinned up, but being, but hanging down because she wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. When this woman knew that Jesus was there, she came in, and she brings an alabaster jar or box of perfume. And when she does, it says that she pours this perfume and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus with her tears and with her hair, and she kissed him and poured perfume on him. She loved Jesus with all her heart, with all her soul, and with all her mind. First of all, her tears and her hair. This was a place of humility. This was even for this woman a place of coming down, of not assuming she had a place, but knowing that she didn't. She came down and she bent down and she came to the ground and with her tears and with this oil and with her hair she has a personal moment with jesus where she gives him her love she knew jesus personally she had contact with him she knew his touch she gave of herself you see loving god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind is a personal thing It's a personal time. It's a close time. It's getting into his presence. This woman was in his presence. She had his full attention. He was completely focused on her. His presence was what she was enjoying. You see, to love the Lord your God, it's a personal love. It's time with him in his presence. It's listening to. To him, We forfeit so much when we forfeit time, time with Jesus in his presence, at his feet. She loved him with all her heart. She loved him without preoccupation with herself and what people thought of her. Because what was the attitude there of the Pharisees? Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Whirling around her were attitudes and sneers and comments and put-downs, judgment, criticism. Instead of listening in, she pushed forward. She was not preoccupied with neither who she was or the criticism of the people around her. The religious people, the Pharisees, were filled with thoughts about her. After all, she was a sinner, maybe even a prostitute. Yet she loved Jesus. That's all that mattered to her. She was in a room filled with judgmental, Condescending, critical, and hateful religious people, but her love for Christ was greater than the criticism. How easy it is, my friends, to back away from our love for Christ when there's criticism. When we get judged. When we get made fun of. When the pressure comes to back away from Christ instead of saying, No, we won't, we do, we back away. We don't want to look fanatical, strange or weird. We don't want to do anything that would draw attention to ourselves. We want to fit in. We want to blend in. We want to be a Christian incognito. We don't want anyone to point a finger or to look at us as being any different than they are. And yet this woman that night... She pushed right through all the sneering and the criticism. She could have been physically removed. There were enough religious leaders there to grab her by both arms and escort her and throw her into the street. She was preoccupied, my friends, with loving Jesus. She didn't care. She didn't care. You know, we need to get to the place where we don't care we don't care so much what people think of us. We don't care so much about the person standing next to us in church. What will they think if I worship? What will they think if I bow down? What will they think if I raise my hand? What will they think if I love the Lord with all in this moment? What will they think? It doesn't matter what they think. It's interesting, I've noticed it over the years, among couples at times. When one of the two are missing from church, the other one is freer in worship. It's interesting that even those we love the most that are the closest to us, we feel inhibited. We feel like we can't express our love for Christ. In an, in an unabandoned way, because of the pressure, because of the criticism, because of the things that we think we're going to have to face. Let's not care. Let's not care. Finally, no expense was too great. She loved him. She brought this alabaster jar with ointment, it was fragrant. It was perfumed. And it was expensive. Its value was great. A year's wage for an average laborer. Are you an average laborer today? Most of us in this room are pretty average. What do you make a year before taxes? What do you make a year after taxes? What would happen if we took an offering for that amount next Sunday? from everyone that'd be a lot most of us don't have the equivalent of that in a savings account to live on and yet in this little jar this alabaster jar this woman carried the equivalent of a year's wages many women that in that day used their alabaster jar as part of their dowry a promise for their future marriage. And on that day, she broke open that jar. She took the top off of that jar, and she wasted it on Jesus. She wasted it on Jesus. It really was viewed as wasteful. That this woman broke open such a costly jar for such a purpose as the feet of Jesus? But you see, the value of the jar paled in comparison to the value of the master. The value of worship, the value of Christ, to her far exceeded the most valuable item she may have had around her neck that day. It didn't matter in light of Christ. The material mattered least. That of lesser value is poured upon the one of greater value. To love the Lord your God is to love extravagantly, to give to Him generously, spare no expense. There are many believers around the world that do this so much better than we do. We Americans, we've got a lot of hang-ups. We do. We have a lot of hang-ups when it comes to things like security and control and retirement and financial management and all the things that we prepare for ourselves so that we feel secure. Is that good to a measure? But if it stands in the way of our loving God... then should we to that measure? This woman that day had her priorities in line. She saw what was truly valuable. My prayer for us is that we see what's truly valuable. It's not our stuff. It's not what's in our bank account. It's not what's in our pocket. It's not what we drive. It's not where we live. It's not the retirement fund that we have. It's not the retirement plan that we have. It's not the future mate that we're looking for. It's not the income that we're striving to achieve and the security in this life. For this life, my friend, is a vapor. One day it's here and the next day it's gone. What is it that's of value in this life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, my friend, is a day for all. The Lord is wanting from his children all. Well, I do pretty good. He's got 75%. All. I didn't write it. I just read it. Love the Lord your God with all all of your heart. Don't give your love, the love of your heart, to someone else. Give the love of your life, the love of your heart, ultimately to God. He wants all. As we close, a couple questions for you to think about this morning. How is your love for Christ? Is it personal? Or is it dutiful and sterile? Does Christ have your heart or does he just have your duty, your responsibilities? the things that you do for him. The way to get back in touch with the personal is in the time that you spend with him. That's where the personal relationship is cultivated, in the time that you spend. Next, are you preoccupied with yourself and what others think about your expression of love? We truly only live for an audience of one We really do. In the end, there's only going to be one person, only one, that it really matters what he thinks of us, what he thinks of me, what he thinks of you. Only one. Not even your husband or your wife, your mother, your father, the person that you try to please, the person that you try to do things for. All of those people will be paled in comparison to Him. He's the audience of one. So don't be preoccupied with yourself and with what others think in your expressions of love to Him. And finally, is your love puny, small, stingy? Is there more left over for you than given over to Him? I encourage you, Love generously. Love with a full heart. You are loving the pearl of great price, the one of the greatest value. Remember the story that Jesus told. And with this I'll close. It's back in Matthew 13. It's a very, very short story. It's about a man who finds a treasure in a field. It's just an open field, a field that... He does not own, but he is in this field and he comes across this treasure. And he sees the magnitude of the treasure. He sees the value of the treasure. He sees that how that treasure could change his financial life. And so he hides it. He doesn't want anyone else to know that that treasure is there. So he goes and enjoys. He goes and he sells everything that he has to get enough money together to go out and to buy that field. He hadn't shared with anybody what was in the field until the deal was final. And he got his funds together and he went out to the owner of the field and he laid down all that he had for that field because in that field was the greatest treasure that anyone could ever, ever find. Jesus tells us that story to let us know that he's the treasure in the field. He is that treasure in the field. And everything that we have and everything that we own deserves the treasure in the field. He's the pearl of great price. So today, first things first. First, things first Jesus says the first thing that's first experts of the law Pharisees Sadducees people in the church today the very first thing that should be first is to love to love him with all how are you doing today how's your love for him have you been thinking about some things as the Lord brought some things to mind as, as I've been speaking this morning that kind of call into question the all in your life? It's okay. That's why we're here this morning, to let the Lord speak to us. Because as we go forward in this culture and in this world, the dividing line between the believers and the non-believers is only going to get stronger. It's only going to become more and more defined. And one of the words that will define that line is the word all. It will be one of the defining words, all. I encourage you today, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's the greatest of these. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving Your all. Thank you that Jesus is your all to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all. God, you're familiar with the word all. Not only have you created it, but that's what you are. That's what you are, Father. You're a God who gives all. So you've shown us you are our example. And now, Lord, may we return to You in obedience to the greatest commandment, all of our love, all of our hearts, all of our mind, the things that we think about, meditate on, focus on. Lord, is it loving You? Lord, is our mind, all of our mind, all of our mind, I say it again, all of our mind, is it loving you? All of our soul, our will, our emotions, are we loving you with all of us? Lord, I pray today that as the Holy Spirit speaks with each one of us individually that we will respond with yes Lord I love you I love you with all with all so Lord by your Holy Spirit touch those places in our life where you want to be the center where you want all And Lord, I pray today that our response to you will be, yes, Lord, I will love you with all. Lord, I pray you would give each one of us strength to make the decisions that we need to make in our lives so that, Lord, we can obey this first and greatest commandment. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.